Hello and welcome to Inside Music, episode number 64. I'm your host, James Shotwell, and on this episode, I have Anna Maria, a writer for Absolute Punk, Buzz Bands LA, and a number of other wonderful publications. She's on the show to discuss not one, but two very hot-button issues affecting the alternative music community today. The first, diversity in music writing, is one that has been gaining a lot of traction in the digital world over the last couple of months. And the second, and far more controversial, controversial, sorry, is the way that music blogs are covering accusations of sexual assault within the alternative music scene. There have been a lot of these accusations over the last year, from Front Porch Step to Neck Deep, Better Off, and most recently Foxing, and it seems like every few weeks there's a news story, and that's absolutely heartbreaking, but it is so, so important that we as music writers know how to properly cover these stories, but also that the people who read music blogs understand where the people who write them are coming from. Most people that run blogs don't actually have any you know, professional training in how to be a journalist. And when it comes to covering things like accusations of sexual assault, it is so important that we know where to draw the line in terms of what we say and how we say it when we're covering such topics. Anna Marie and I are definitely don't have all the answers, but we're hoping that this episode of the show can be a launching point for a lot of for a batch of new conversations throughout the industry about these very important topics. And the only way that we can really make that happen is with your help. So after you listen to this episode of the show, which I'm going to get to as fast as possible, we'd like you to reach out to the show on Twitter, at Inside Music Pod. That's at Inside Music P-O-D. And give us any thoughts, questions, feedback, concerns, or even reviews that you have of the com- this conversation. Um, the plan is that in about a month or maybe six, six weeks, Anna Maria will come back on the show and we will review any questions and concerns and commentary that we received from you, the listeners, and we will continue these conversations. There's a lot of other hot, but, uh, there's a lot of other sensitive or controversial topics within our scene that we both feel need to be addressed, and we hope that we can do that through a series of conversations just like the one you're about to hear. So if you like what you hear, please get involved. And if you don't want to share your comments publicly, you can also email james at holix.com. That's james at h-a-u-l-i-x.com. If you don't want us to share your name on the air, we definitely won't. But if you do, we can do that as well. Before I get to the show, I do need to tell you that this episode of Inside Music Podcast and every episode of the show is brought to you by Holix, the internet's leading digital promotional distribution service. What that means is that Holix works with record labels, managers, publicists, and independent artists all over the world to share new and unreleased music with members of the industry at large without fear of leaks. Should piracy occur, Holix has a number of state-of-the-art tools that not only prevent the spread of files online, but also help track down the individuals responsible. For more information on Holix and access to a free 30-day trial, visit holix.com. That's H-A-U-L-I-X.com. Now I'm going to play a little bit of music from a band that I have been enjoying. Well, I guess I should say an artist I have been enjoying a lot as of late. And I'm going to get into the conversation with Anna Maria. Again, if you have any feedback whatsoever, we'd love to hear from you. At Inside Music Pod on Twitter. At Inside Music P-O-D. Okay? Enjoy the show.
Oh, things are pretty crazy right now. You know, I'm just settling into, well, not a new city, but my old city for our new round. <laughs> so I'm just sort of focusing on moving and settling in and all of that. Yeah, you mentioned you were moving. So you do, are you move, you're moving back then from somewhere? Yeah, I moved. I just moved back to Los Angeles from the Bay Area. I was um, I sort of spent half of my childhood divided between the two places. Spent the last couple of years up in Oakland, and now I'm back in Los Angeles, which is a good thing. But it's just you know, moving is a lot. So yeah, it's never easy. It's never easy. It's never fun, even when it's a good thing. It's just yeah, it's one of those one of those fun life tasks. <laughs> definitely and i just i just moved to minneapolis at the beginning of uh february so i'm i'm just on the other side of where you are now yeah i'm sure you can understand that <laughs> yeah it's a little warmer where you are it was like 20 degrees when i was unloading my boxes but yeah yeah it's a little bit warmer than just that a little you know, just, just a little just a hair well i'm happy that you came on the show and for people that don't i uh, kind of know what preface this i guess we should give them like a little bit of a backtrack but you and i got into a conversation on twitter like a week ago which to begin is the worst place to have this discussion in the probably. world probably but uh we started to have a conversation on diversity in music writing and after we shared like enough tweets to make a conversation we decided that it'd be better as a podcast and i completely agree and i'm happy that you're here to like find make that happen well thank you yeah i feel like this is a topic that doesn't that gets talked about a lot, but not discussed a lot, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's like a it buzz. Makes perfect sense. It's, it's like diversity is the new buzzword in the music business, especially music writing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I guess we should start with what prefaced all this and I will kind of build from there. But, uh, what, what initially got you and I started on this path was that I had seen a couple of different websites who we'll, we'll leave out of the conversation cause there's no reason to bring up their names again, who had been promoting, right. n- been promoting new listings as specifically saying, white guys need not apply or no white guys allowed or basically trying to emphasize that they wanted women and people of color. And I raised the question of why is it okay to say no white guys allowed? And I think that's probably a good place to start. Can you kind of like give how, how that impress, how you read something like that versus how I probably read something like that. Just for the record, I am a white guy and you're not. So it's kind of worse. Those are both very factual statements. (laughs) Well, so as a writer in the music industry, if and a I'm you know female, I'm Latina, I'm all of these things. Um, when I'm applying for a new outlet and I see it saying no white guys, the way I would read that, as opposed to the way a white guy might read that, is basically just like, look, we all live in this same world, but we don't all see the world the same way. We don't all experience the world the same way. That's where, that's essentially what privilege is all about. Um, And so basically, if I'm seeing no white guys, then what I'm seeing is they're looking for a perspective other than the white male perspective, which is something that I can offer. So what that tells me is that they're actively looking for people that might be more like me. Maybe I'm not what they're looking for either, but I have more of a chance because it sort of removes the default, the standard, which is the white male perspective from the equation. So it's encouraging for a lot of men of color, women of color, just women in general, when they see that. that that's how that's one way that you could interpret it, which is, you know, how I see it. 
And 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 I learned to agree. You used a phrase when we initially talked about it. I actually had to like go back and like look up all of our tweets because we said so much that I was like, I want to make sure I don't like misquote either. There were a lot of tweets. (laughs) (laughs) But you initially told me that without context for like what the listing said, you thought that it provided a safe feeling for people who aren't white men because who might be discouraged by rejection. And just so people understand, like, what do you mean when you say safe? Because you don't mean like you're afraid of the white man. You're afraid of rejection necessarily i don't think but could you kind of clarify that for people no um i think usually when you move in you know that tumblr justice baby whole section of the internet which is my wheelhouse safe place doesn't necessarily literally mean i'm afraid of these things what a safe place is is it means it's a place where you're actively encouraged where it's sort of um yeah, I'm not sure what word I would use other than safe. It just, it's a place of encouragement. It's a place of community. It's a place where you might find those things where you otherwise would not in a world that still defaults to white men. So that's what safe place means. It's not about fear. It's kind of about the opposite of that. It's about comfort. It's about support. You know, and when you put it like that, I definitely think it, it makes more sense. I think safe is the right word. And you, I think encourage, I guess, is the other one, is that you find it encouraging because it tells you, that I maybe not that you have a leg up, but that they aren't automatically going to write you off if you're not that thing. Is that what you mean? Exactly. And do you exactly do you feel like that has happened to you personally? I think that it has absolutely happened to me personally. I um, this is not really the time or place for me to get into, you know, specifics. Yeah, this is. And in specifics, but as a young female writer, I have definitely been told that my perspective, and I wrote a couple of pieces on Absolute Punk sort of in response to this, that my perspective is valueless because I cannot be objective because I'm a woman. I've been told that before, and that um, especially when it comes to writing about inequality issues, which is, it has sort of, I didn't intend for that to become my specialty, but it sort of has. So here we are. And, um, it has definitely happened to me and I've been, you know, just treated very condescending. Like when you have an editor who sort of starts referring to you with baby names or pet names and sort of sexualizing you very subtly, it instantly just changes the entire dynamic of the conversation. And this is something that I and a lot of female writers that I know have dealt with constantly. Just we don't get taken seriously just by default because of who we are. And it can be very frustrating. Could you maybe back up just a bit, and I guess we probably maybe we should have started here, but could you kind of give everyone a little crash course in how you got started in music and who you write for now so that they kind of know where you're coming from? Oh, absolutely. So I got started in music. Actually, I think what started me in music journalism was back in, what was it, 2010. Um, I, a data member put out a new album at the time called What Separates Me From You. I didn't feel like reactions were fair to it. And so I went on a rant on my Tumblr, which was a mess at the time, um, basically reviewing the album. And someone, an editor of a now defunct music site, asked if I wanted to write for her. I said yes. And then in college, I I was interning at a PR firm, and then they set me up with a different music site a smaller one to write for. And eventually I just applied to alternative press sort of on a whim. And about six months after I did that, they, I started writing for alternative press and I started writing for absolute punk last year. Um, and that has sort of become my primary 
outlet when I just started writing for Substream at the end of last year. So it just sort of snowballed. I didn't intend to do this in the first place, but it worked out. So here I am. Do you consider yourself a lifer at this point? Is this your is this your career goals? Um, I don't know if being a music journalist per se is career goals, but in terms of the world that I've gotten myself into with social justice and fighting for equality, absolutely. This I've definitely found my calling, and I'm really, really, really grateful to Absolute Punk for giving me the freedom that no other outlet's given me before to sort of be vocal about that. When would you say you first kind of decided when you decided you had to take a stance on these topics? Because uh, I guess it's one thing I remember being a young writer. And when I first got into music writing, I didn't feel like I could I had like the authority to talk on those topics. And I don't know if that was the same for you. But I'm curious about when you felt like, okay, I have something to say that could add to this conversation. Well, my snap moment was last July. I think it was July 3rd. It was when I woke up and found out that Kevin Lyman had let Front Porch step onto Warp Tour for his rehabilitation or whatever the speech was at the time. And I, I just woke up that day and there was, um, and I was, I was new on abs the Absolute Punk staff. It had been maybe two weeks. I hadn't posted anything yet. No one really knew why I was there. I wasn't hired as a reviewer. I wasn't hired as an interviewer. So, Everyone, including myself, was really confused as to what my place was there. And people were just, you know, people were trying to deal with this news. And so I wrote, sat down and I was just like, I'm going to write how I feel. I wrote the breakup letter to Van's Warp Tour and I shared it in the Snapchat and Jason told me to post it. And so I did. And that was my, it wasn't really an active decision so much as I just got my feelings out. He liked what I had to say, and so I posted it, and that's sort of just become my role on that side ever since, is where there is injustice, my <laughs> account becomes active again, sort of type thing. That makes you sound like super, like a superhero, and I love it. Well, it doesn't feel that way to me, but I'll allow it. Well, I'm, okay. I have an ego. I'm, I'll allow it. <laughs> Well, you know, I think of those, there are those old cartoons where you'd see a superhero kind of be like, wherever there's a problem, I'll be there. Wherever yeah. there's harm coming to people, I'll be there. And that's just how you phrased it. I like yes. it. Uh, yes, where there where there's injustice, I will become a, I've been, I think it was bitter feminist harpy is what I got called last, which I'm, I'm fine if that's my tagline. <laughs> I'm not going to lose sleep over that, but... <laughs> I was I was yeah. actually going to ask you about that. So was was the backlash immediate? It was, and it's actually I'm actually heartened by as time goes on that at least on AP the backlash has decreased significantly, and I've actually gotten more responses from young men saying, "You gave me something something new to think about," which obvious I mean obviously that is the goal. And so maybe it's just my wording has gotten better as time goes on. I absolutely understand why people are angry and why people don't want to educate people. But if this is something that I choose to do, then I'm I'm glad that I'm starting to get more responses of, oh, I didn't see it that way, as opposed to, you know, go die in a fire, you bitter whore type thing. Yeah, I can see it's, how one of those is it's better. Definitely a, it's, a nice, it's a nice change. It's a nice <laughs> change I've been starting to see for the most part. Did you ever actually get a reply from anyone connected with Warp Tour in that whole breakup letter? Um, so Kevin Lyman tweeted at me as he tweeted at quite a few other young female journalists who were vocally angry about this, 
saying that he would fly me to, or that he would meet me, where was I? He would meet me. And so I kind of called him on the bluff and told him where I was and that he could stop by any time. And he never replied. Um, because I was not, I, I didn't, it, it made me very uncomfortable, the idea of going to Warped Tour and going into his house and sort of that, that sort of sets a power imbalance right off the bat. Definitely. And so I was, I'm not going to come to you. You can come to me. And he never replied. This is not a man who has shown that he really wants to make the kind of uncomfortable change that would be necessary in order to make, to restore, to undo the damage he's done. Basically, he just he wants to do what's easy, and I understand that that's human nature. But I'm gonna keep calling it out, and I think you should. I mean, I've had a similar problem where I had reached out to Kevin through this exact podcast and been like, "Why don't we hold kind of an open discussion between me and Kevin, and I'll just ask questions for people?" Because I thought maybe having kind of having a disconnected conversation like this, where he could be where he's comfortable, I could be where I'm comfortable, and I'll just I'll ask the right. questions that are on everyone's mind. And he agreed, and he was like, "As soon as we get off Warp Tour," and then there were six weeks of no replies from his team, and then they were finally like, "Well, too much time has passed, and Kevin doesn't want to talk about it anymore." And I was like, "But you, you." Yeah. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, he he there's he he's very good about making a public declaration of, you know, I'm going to take steps to fix this. But anyone that's been on the other side of those offers, I I've never heard someone actually kind of get a follow through. Yes, he's brilliant at inaction. <laughs> it's truly a gift. And what's what frustrates me the most about that, and we'll we'll move off to Kevin in a second. But what frustrates me the most is that he's also one of the people behind the Entertainment Institute, which is quickly becoming kind of a a mainstay in almost every major musical conference across the country that talks about you know how to navigate the music industry. And this specific topic and topics related to it are not something they focus on yet, and that that really makes me kind of I don't know, it gets under my skin. That I was not aware of that, but that gets. While it doesn't surprise me, it does disappoint me, and it doesn't, you know, like I said, I'm not shocked. I can't pretend that any of this is shocking anymore. It's heartbreaking. But the fact is, issues when it comes to equality, especially with women and women of color, have always been put on the back burner. In fact, the way, um, just the way that young women get treated by men very rarely factors into the way people judge whether or not that guy's a good person. And this is something we've seen play out with almost every one of these accusations. Even with, I've seen less of it with the this whole better off blow up that happened this week. But even there, it's like this whole idea that, uh, well, that doesn't really matter. She's probably just lying. But that's the default. It's just really heartbreaking. And the fact that Kevin Lyman doesn't bother to tackle that is, given that his festival caters to so many young people is really, really disturbing. I agree. How do you feel is the best way to, I guess, educate and kind of talk about these topics? Because, I mean, you and I started talking over Twitter and we did have some good, you know, good things exchanged. But, you know, similarly, I've had other conversations and I'm sure you have with people where it starts off fine. And then either if especially if it's in social media, which is the worst place to do this, outsiders can chime in and it it can turn the entire conversation sideways before you even kind of get to a point of understanding because people will come out of the woodwork and be like, oh, in my case, I get a lot of your mansplaining why this is not this is not wrong 
wrong or something. I'm not. I'm just I'm trying to ask questions. And I, I guess sometimes sometimes it's hard to know how the best way is to educate yourself. Because in my position, I, I read I read things like what you write, and I, and I want to know more, and I want to better understand your perspective on it. But I don't always know how to do that without coming across as you know being either stupid or trying to push my own agenda. Well. That's a good question. Here's where I'll just sort of preface my answer to your question with a word of caution. In general, if you're part of a privileged group trying to understand more about what someone from a marginalized group that you're not part of is saying, it is you always have to go into it with the mindset that this person probably deals with everything I'm about to say on a daily basis. This person is not necessarily volunteering to educate me. And it's okay if they don't want to, because um, it's really easy for these conversations to slip into tone policing. I, I would say that the best, like I volunteer to educate people all the time. This is something that I've decided to do, but I completely understand why other people don't want to. And um, the thing about mansplaining and things of that nature is men usually don't understand when they're doing it. And because of the thing about privilege is it doesn't make you a bad person, but it does shield you from the reality of your actions and how your actions are coming across to people who have to live this reality and try to justify their own reality every single day. And that gets really, really hard to do. And I, that's why I completely understand why people, I'm willing to be a lightning rod for it because I understand why people just don't have it in them. And so basically, I'd say that the best thing to do is, A, try to keep the conversations private. I engaged with you on Twitter, so that was fine. But And there's nothing wrong with tweeting out a question that way in a general sense. But I would say if you can direct message someone or if you can just ask them, is it okay if I, are you open to me asking you some questions? Because it basically, just the second a white man chimes into a conversation about that, a lot of people are going to go on the defensive because nine times out of ten, that guy's trying to play devil's advocate and he's not actually trying to learn. And that's something that it gets exhausting constantly having to try to, you know, figure out which one's the poison apple, which one's the good apple type thing. And so... Uh, it basically just, if you can keep it private and if you can keep it respectful, just make sure that get their uh, consent, I guess, get their consent before engaging with them on the topic. And you can avoid a lot of that. And if they say no, if they say they're not willing to have the conversation, then just, you have to drop it. And the other component of that with tone policing is just because they give you an answer that you don't like, doesn't mean that you should respond in kind because you sort of have to keep in mind where they're coming from. And these are old wounds that you might be accidentally reopening. And so if someone basically starts responding angrily, it might be best to just disengage. Because the conversation is probably dead in the water. <laughs> Yo, yes. And I, I, I'll speak from experience. I, I have made this mistake. And I, I, I'm someone that I'll 100% admit I'm still learning. I'm trying to navigate the waters. But like you, I, I like to think that I can take the opposite side of where you're at, the position of the white male, and ask the questions that a lot of guys won't ask. But I've learned through trial and error more than anything that, just as you said, you, you definitely have to 
be invited into a conversation like that. If you hop in, and I made this mistake in the last couple of days on Twitter even, you see a comment that maybe you, you question or you don't agree with. If you just jump in at being someone in my position, people will immediately, they're maybe not the person you're talking to, but if someone else sees that, that knows that person or believe, is following they the conversation, yeah. they get defensive and they're like, you're coming in here to tell, tell us how the white man sees it. And I'm like, I, I don't know that I am, but maybe I am and I don't know it. And that, again, that's where I end up being like, well, we have to ask these questions or else we we don't understand what we're doing because like, you know, as you said, it gets very frustrating and nine out of 10 times, it is some guy trying to push a point. But for everyone that's not, we understand that we are the margin in that factor. And we don't know how to educate the others around us without kind of having an open dialogue. But like you said, you have to make sure the other person wants to engage you in that open dialogue. Yeah. And that's completely valid. But I'd say the only other part in what you just said that I would offer a little bit of caution on is even if you don't think that you're just trying to, you know, this is how the white man sees it, since you are a white man, you really have no choice but to be talking from your own perspective. And so that's just something that people with privilege, I have a lot of privileges and when I engage in conversations that are less about me, this is something I have to be cognizant of as well. And it's basically just, you always carry your privilege in these conversations. It is always there, whether or not your intentions are good, whether or not you mean to, you carry your privilege. And that is how people who don't have that privilege are going to see you. And so that's just always, that. that's why sometimes it's just better to know when it's just not time to speak. And like I said, this is something that no one is perfect. As long as people try to learn when they're corrected, that's really all that we can ask for. But basically, if someone tells you that you're out of line, just instead of taking it personally, stop and look at what happened and see, if, try to figure out what you did. And it's really that, and then try to grow from that and try to avoid whatever you did to hurt someone again, because that's really what it boils down to. We're just, it's about not making people feel shitty. Do you feel that your efforts are, are you doing it for your own greater good or do you see yourself as kind of doing this for all women in music writing? Both. Mm. Um, I absolutely, my fight was fueled. Um, a lot of where this comes from is I've had relationships with very abusive men and I've had a lot of male friends in bands. And of course there was a situation with warp Tour, but I'm drawing from all of my own personal experiences when I write. And so of course this is partially for myself, especially as homage to my younger, less damaged self. But, um, this is also what my, what my ultimate goal here is, is for these, for every young girl right now who thinks she wants to be in a band or who's just falling in love with this music scene, who's bright, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed, as my mom says, I don't want her to lose that. And what I want to do is leave behind a better world than the one that I found. And if they're going to have, they're going to have struggles. That's part of the human experience. But I don't want their struggles to be worse than the ones that their white male counterparts will have. Because that's the goal here. It's not about eliminating suffering because that's not, you know, that's not realistic. That's not life. It's just making it so that everybody is starting from the same place on the field. That's all we're talking about here. And so is it for myself? Is it for all women? Well, I'm a woman, so it's the answer is always going to be all of the above. 
uh, and, and I asked uh, that that's kind of what I thought the answer was but I thought I would ask for clarity uh, I find that on the on the side of the guy when you see people discussing the problems that they have with other men sometimes it's it's best if you take yourself out of the equation and you think of men in a more of a general term because because if you're if you don't apply to that group of guys of course I you don't see your you don't see men as being that way necessarily because you're like well I know a lot of decent people a decent guys but you have to remember that they're not talking about you unless they specifically name you and I think sometimes right. I like, I've made this mistake you kind of put yourself you put your own foot in your mouth because you're like hey hashtag not all guys and then they're like well the exactly. majority of guys <laughs> and yeah no when people when we say men and I I obviously cannot speak for everyone but generally when we say men we mean as an institution as a whole just maleness is a privilege but we're not talking about individuals unless we're naming you if we're naming someone specifically calling someone out that's different feel free to get offended you know i don't know if it's going to be productive but that's different but when we talk about men when we talk about male privilege we're not talking about individuals there's a lot of great guys out there that is obviously true just like there are some that can be said for any privileged group of course um and so but that's a mistake that a lot of people make because i think what privilege does is it has you know white men in this country and i can only speak from this country because this is where i grew up but they're told basically from day one that their opinion is valuable and should be heard. And so what happens is the initial reaction when they get told someone else gets to speak right now and that maybe we don't want to hear from you, it's they almost react like children for the most part because on some level this is something that they've never been told. And again, this is this is generalizing. There are going to be individual young men who've been devalued from the time they were children. Obviously, that's true, but then we're not talking about them. This is a general systemic problem that we have in this country. And the basic fact of the matter is, if you want people in marginalized groups to placate every single exception to the rule of stealing, then the conversation gets lost and no progress is made. And that's the unfortunate truth is basically you can't, we can't spend all of our time, all of our time talking about the feelings of people who might not fit in the middle. Now, let me ask you, as for the for the group of guys that do not believe themselves to be part of the problem, what can we do kind of working from our side of the fence to make things better? Like, how, how do you feel we can improve this? And I guess let's speak bigger on that. How can, ev- what should everyone be doing to kind of, make this a conversation that people feel like they can have with each other. Cause I feel like there's still, like we talked about earlier, there, it's a buzzword and people throw it out there and they, they ask, they want more equality, they want more diversity, but then when it comes time to actually talk about it, it, people start drawing battle lines. So how do you think we can get past that? Well, the best thing that men can do to be allies is to start policing other men. And what I mean when I say that is to eliminate things like, it was just a joke or it wasn't a big deal and things like that from your vocabulary. And just when women get upset by something or when women aren't even present, just it's, it's basically about just starting to listen to the way that other men discuss women when they're not around and listening to the really some the microaggressions that sneak their way into everyday conversation, because those can be the ones where if women call them out, we get called crazy. We get called overly sensitive. Um, 
we get called, we basically get told that we're imagining things, we're the problem, we just need to get over it. And those are the type of things where other men really need to take lead the charge in telling other guys, you know what, dude, that's not really, that wasn't funny, that's not okay. Or if you see your friend treating his girlfriend badly, letting him know, instead of just saying, well, that's not my business, it might not be your business, but you are part of the problem if you're complicit in it. We see it with, I mean, better off just change their entire career because they didn't want to believe that their fill-in bass player raped someone. It's just, it's sort of like that whole bro culture and the bro code and that whole thing about how guys basically just, how you treat women is none of my business. That contributes to the idea that women aren't people in the same way. And until we see our would-be allies, um, calling men, other men out the same way that they pretend to, to our faces, we're never going to take them seriously or feel safe with them. I have male friends very recently, prominent dudes in the industry who I've just had to cut ties with because they sounded like they were allies, but then I didn't want to go on a date with them. And suddenly they're still out here taking selfies with Ronnie Radke kind of thing. And so it's just like, that's not real allyship. You have to be accountable. You have to hold your friends accountable. And that means when women are present and speaking, amplify, don't speak over. But if there are no women, or if you see your friend, male friends doing this, it means stepping up and telling them it's not okay. That is what men can do. Yeah, I think uh, I think a key component, and you just touched on this, of being an ally is acting without expecting something in return. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, that's. I think that's, that's a, a key huge problem. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine how how often that situation you just described happened. The I'm on your side until you aren't, you know, doing whatever it is I I wanted from whatever you. I wanted. Yeah. Mm. Right. And that's and what, so I'm on. I'm vocally on your side, but when it comes time to actually calling out my friends, that's too hard. I'm not going to do it. Mm. Do you feel yeah. do you feel the rise in I guess public accusations against musicians is that a sign that we're getting better at handling this or is it just a sign that it's is, is the problem getting worse how how do you feel about the all these accusations that have been coming out I don't believe for one second that the problem is getting worse I believe we're just hearing about it now um, I don't know that the social media accusations are necessarily the right way to handle it because I don't know, this is a horrible thing that's happening. I don't know what the right way would possibly look like. In an ideal world, our justice system would be set up so that women could come forward and feel safe doing that, but that's not the world we live in. So social media is sort of all these young women have. And what we're seeing now is for the first time we're seeing, and it is largely because of social media, these young women are finding community and saying, wait a minute, I'm not alone. I can speak up for myself. I can, maybe this is all I can do, but I can stand up for myself and try to let people know what was done to me. Because for the first time, they're feeling like maybe that they'll have a voice. And we're still seeing problems where accusations from, you know, white women are carrying much more weight and getting much more visibility than women of color and black women. But so that's apparently, that's our next hurdle. That's the next thing that we have to work on. But it's just, I think social media, I don't know if it's the right way, but it's what we have. And I don't think the problem's getting worse because boys will be boys is not a new theory. <laughs> no. I just think, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that now we're, they finally have a platform and they're finally finding a voice. 
I think that's all that we're seeing here. Now, how do you feel about the way that it gets covered? Because while I agree that I, I what I appreciate most is that it, that these platforms empower people to say what happened to them, but I get a little skittish when it comes to the the jump to report on these things because there there have been instances, very very few instances, where people have kind of retracted their statements after the fa- after they've blown up on the internet, and that's happened so rarely. We're talking less than five percent of the time. But they happen, right. and from a journalistic standpoint, there's this there's this weight where you, you kind of have to balance out because you know that it's going to bring in traffic and it's going to bring in discussion. But there is that you know there's that part of you that's like, well, we need I need something more than a tweet or I need something more than a Tumblr post. But then, you know, if if that's the stance a site chooses to take, like Alternative Press, for example, they won't report on anything like that unless it is a gigantic artist and that there's a ton of reports coming out. Like they were probably the last. To and pick even up. then, they'll put them on their cover yeah. next month. Yeah, yeah, and even then that doesn't stop them from covering them. They'll just mention that the yeah. story's out there. But and the and the reaction to that is they you know they're not on the side of the victims. But I guess the argument I can see from their stance, from Mike Shea and Jason Pettigrew and all those people, is that you know they're looking for the proof. They're looking for some fact that they can run with in their story and they don't have that. So how do you feel sites should be, you know, covering those topics? I don't think there's anything wrong with letting people know an accusation is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as you make it clear that this is not substantiated. Basically, if it's someone's Tumblr post, the reason, being a survivor myself, it is very hard for me to say, don't believe someone based on their Tumblr post. Yes. Um, that, that is just, it's, this is a very complicated issue and one where, again, I don't believe objectivity is real when it comes to these things. I don't believe it exists. Yeah. But from my personal perspective, my inclination is usually to believe them um, but that being said, it, you, it does need, I, I think before you call something fact, you need some sort of substantiation. And basically what that's going to do, what that means, because I know how many, I hate this phrase now, but shades of gray there are when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. It basically just boils down for me, the way people report on it, I think they just need to say, this is what we know. And this is what we don't know and leave it at that. Just basically try, unless of course, when you've got these cases where some weird screenshots of the guy admitting that he did it, things like that, then by all means editorialize as much as you want. But when it, for me, as soon as somebody gets accused, I'm not going to lie. It taints how I see them because I know what was done to me and I know how few people believed me. I lost a lot of friends when I told them what my ex did to me. And so it just, I sort of, I know how hard a lot of this can be to prove, especially when it comes to emotional abuse and the psychological torture that goes along with assault. And so um, it's just one of those things that's so hard to prove that I think it's sort of just, in terms of reporting, just lay out what you know and don't know. And it's on the people who read that to do what they will with the information. Because you can't, that's really all you can do. And I think an important thing for listeners to keep in mind is when they're reading these sites, unless it's like a major outlet, like a substream or an alternative press, the people that are covering these stories are likely the same age, if not younger than the people reading yeah, we're these just stories. People. And, we're just people. And, you know, yeah. we, you know, there's a, there's a journalistic speakeasy group on Facebook and stuff, and we try to, you know, impress upon people the need to follow, you know, kind of the 
proper method of getting this news out, you know, to reach out and try to get quotes and stuff. But in my own personal experience, like, for example, when the front porch step news started to break, I reached out to Pure Noise and the representative and Jake himself the day of and was like, hey, this is happening online. Do you want to comment on it? Do you know it's happening? And when they didn't respond within three hours, I ran with the story, but I gave them the Mm -hmm. opportunity. I tried to do the due diligence of like, are they even aware this accusation's out there? What do they have and to say about it? And that's an important component, too. It's like if you try to reach out and you try to get their comment and they don't want to offer it. Yeah. It's like, well, you sort of lost your chance to speak up for yourself. And now I just feel like you're finding a publicist to try to spin this for you. Yeah. If, um, it, if it takes longer than a couple of hours, that's exactly how I feel as well, that there's something that you're trying to come up with something to say. Yeah. It's like I, I don't believe for one second that you haven't seen you haven't seen the email, so exactly. let's just be real about this. And due diligence is obviously a very important part of it. It's just this is so different from other types of stories because there usually are no paper trails. Exactly. There usually there are no witnesses. There's no way to corroborate anything. So it basically just boils down to and for me I'm the reason I'm inclined to side with the people who come forward about this stuff is just because I know that historically no one has. Yeah. And I know that I know the statistics on how rarely people recant, and even some of the times that they've recanted, it's been iffy. Yeah, it's not because they did recanting. Yeah, not because it's they not lied. necessarily because they lied. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, and and obviously, it's like, no, I wasn't there. I wasn't in the room, but I was in the room when it happened to me. And a lot of the things abusers tend to operate, they almost follow a script. The most insane thing that I've noticed as I've started doing this work and started speaking about this stuff is the there's this look that young women get when I tell them about my experience in there. And it's not one of horror. It's not one of shock. It's one of resignation because, and then they just go, oh yeah, I had one of those too. And that's the part that's the most heartbreaking to me and makes me most inclined to believe it because it's like, you can't make this stuff up. These guys all do the exact same thing. I, 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 and, I tend to agree with you. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, it's okay. And it's just, that's the part where it's like, so when I hear another story, I'm just like, she's, most of the time, I'm just like, she's not making this up. Because that's what they do. That's the pattern. And, you know, the, t- the times change, the names change, the faces change, the circumstances change. But for the most part, it's just, it's amazing the patterns that the abusive behavior follows. And so that's why, for me personally, as a journalist, I tend to, I don't report on the breaking news. That's never been my, that's not what I do. I'll live tweet, as I'm sure you know. But usually I wait a few days for the dust to settle, and then I'll put out a think piece of some kind. Um, that's, but that's the way I approach things. So I, you know, how people report, I really think it just boils down to just saying what you know. And try to corroborate it if you can, but keep in mind that sexual assault is not that cut and dry and then let people react how they react there's nothing else you can really do i i tend to agree with you i actually not long ago i kind of pontificated on twitter i asked you know if if we had the social media you know craze that we have today 10 years ago when the scene was when this alternative scene specifically was still kind of in its prime and those bands the last generation of bands were still coming up to the top i believe that we'd have at least the same number of accusations if not more and i sometimes wonder how many people who may have been assaulted during that period still haven't spoke up because they feel maybe too much time has passed or that people won't care now and it's 
it's interesting because people seem to think that this is a, a problem that's just recently coming to the surface, like because of all these younger bands and they don't know how to do things. But I, I'm a firm believer, like I believe you are, that this is this has been a constant problem. There's just more ways to tell your story now. I believe you're absolutely right. I mean, the two big cases that we have seen was we had um, with Newfound Glory and Lost Profits. Like, those are just two examples where something where you know, charges were actually pressed, but I don't believe for one second that that generation of bands was exempt um, from this type of behavior because why on earth would they be? That just doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense at all. Especially, I mean, if you look at a lot of their, and these are bands that I love, but if you look at a lot of their lyrics and a lot of their behavior over the years, it's like we've got womanizers in this bunch too. This is, it, it just, I, I'm, yeah, unless people choose to come forward, it's just conjecture. But I don't believe for a second that this band, this generation of bands, is the problem. They're a symptom. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And anyone a much bigger problem. Exactly. Anyone that's in a position like you or I, where we kind of get to see behind the curtain, you realize that there's no way that this is a new thing. You know, it's this is just no. ge- this is a generations old problem that we're only recent, just recently starting to actually address. Yeah, almost every band I love or have ever loved that are that's comprised primarily of men it's like at some point i found something out along the way where i'm just like i'm going to go take a nap right now because now i'm tired kind of thing so it's just it it's just i i think anytime you combine the privilege that a lot of these guys are born with with this from the time they're basically adolescents they have all of this adoration and all of this attention and this really I'm not going to say irresponsible lifestyle, but a lifestyle that does not entail the day-to-day crap that a nine-to-five might. It has different day-to-day crap. I've toured before, but it's definitely a different kind of lifestyle. It's sort of disconnected from most people's reality. It's just sort of a perfect storm, and it's... Of course, there's going to be abuse of the system, and I don't exactly know how we're going to fix that, but I know that talking about it is an important first step. Because I, these young men, they're basically told whatever you want goes because you're the talent and they're going to love you anyway. Yeah. Uh, having yeah. toured myself and been on, even been on Warp Tour for a summer, I can definitely confirm that that's the way the ship is run, so to say. Yep. Yep. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating because you see, it's not only the fact that this is happening and people aren't speaking out, it's the fact that there's no question that other artists know this is going on within other bands and they, they choose not oh, they to speak up themselves. Know. Yeah. I know. It's widespread. It's easier. And it's for the, for the guys, it's usually sort of the awkward. Well, it's the, you know, they're just, they're doing dude stuff. Like I don't want to get involved. I don't want to kill his vibe. And for women, it's usually what I see a lot with the young women in the um, music scene who have not been responsive these issues they don't want to rock the boat they don't want to lose they don't want to burn bridges with these men who are giving them these opportunities and so they unfortunately the side effect of that whether they intend for it or not is that they throw their fans under the bus um and i understand not wanting to bite the hand that feeds you but it, it can be pretty disappointing for a journalist when you get told that by you know a young female artist, but, oh, I don't want to talk about that. That's not real. I don't want to talk about it. It can be very disappointing. Definitely. 
I appreciate you coming on to talk about all this stuff today. I feel like we could probably make a whole series out of this, like diver- like the diversity podcast. Probably. Yeah, we, <laughs> maybe and maybe on the line we will if it gets to that because I I appreciate how that you're able to that you're willing to me kind of meet me in the middle and we can talk about these things and I feel like we're able to have a conversation. Maybe we need to do a part two now that people will be able to hear this. If they have questions, they can tweet at either of us and we could do this again and kind of field questions from an audience about these topics of diversity. But yeah, I'd be happy. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so you heard that. Yeah, you know, what's your Twitter? It's the. Well, how do you spell your Twitter name? I should say. Uh, so it's it's the Anna Maria T H E E, A N N A M A R I A. You can also look for Staircase Spirits. That's it has too many characters for me to make that my Twitter handle, but it's my Twitter name. So. Okay. And I'm, and I'm obviously at UTG James, and then there the podcast is at Inside Music Pod. You can tweet at any of us if you have questions, and we'll try to do another one of these maybe in a few weeks, and we'll, we'll tackle any questions that you guys have about diversity or equality in writing. I know we started to talk about writing. We kind of got off that topic, but I feel like this it all ties together at the end of the day. It does. It's uh, all one big mess. Um, okay, last question. For people that are listening to this and they're thinking, I need to do something, what should people do? What should be the first step people take into trying to make a difference in the greater music scene about all of this? I would say get involved in your local community. Try to figure out um, if there's any issues going on in your own local scene. Social media is a great way to do that. And just try to start being vocal and support voices of people that are speaking up maybe for the first time. Just try to amplify and just try to see if there are issues. There's this great organization called Girls Against that's based in the UK. And just try to maybe get involved, reach out to them and join their street team. Do things of that nature. Just sort of start spreading the word so that people know that this is happening. Because not knowing it's happening is a huge, big part of the problem. So that would be, I just try to get, do something small. Everything counts. Yeah, I I would second what you said and that every day is a chance to try to do something else, try to further the conversation every day. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me for like 45 minutes. I know you're in the middle of moving. I'm, I'm packing for South by Southwest today. So we're both, we're both, we're doing opposite (laughs) things. You're taking things out of boxes. I'm putting things into bags. Exactly. But we met in the middle to do this. I thank you so much for doing this. I, I've learned a lot. No I hope problem. the people listening have learned a lot. And I do I do hope we can do this again, probably in April after after all of the South by stuff falls down, gets, gets out there. Works for me. All righty. Well, thank you again. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks, James. You too.